Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. This week we're discussing Blood Loss by Lexi C. Foss. It's the first book in the Immortal Curse series. We uh, may be talking about sex and adult themes in this episode, so here's your after dark warning. Monitor yourselves appropriately. I'll start with uh, some background information and our characters, and then Vicki will pick up with our plot. Okay, so let's start with our races. We have Ikorians. Ikorians are immortals who have one supernatural or psychic gift, and they require blood for sustenance. The Ikorians are led by Osiris, who is cruel, extremely powerful, and cunning, and possesses the ability to compel. And then we have Hydraeans. Hydraeans are immortals. Um, they are the offspring of a male Ikorian and a human female. They have two supernatural or psychic gifts, and they do not require blood for sustenance. The Hydraeans are read, led by Lucian, who is part of the council of four elders. We have fledglings. So fledgling, fledglings are future Hydraeans um, who haven't come into their gifts yet. So to become a Hydraean, the fledgling must die and be reborn, reborn and then they can access their powers. And then, of course, we, we have just regular old humans, too. Um, the Hydraeans and the Ikorians uh, went to or were on the brink of war way, way back. And so in the 1700s, the blood laws were crafted. And the blood laws um, basically state that it is forbidden for Ikorians to create new fledglings with human females. Um, it is against their laws for Ikorians to allow fledglings and Hydraeans to exist on Ikorian soil, and they're also not allowed to consort or befriend with Hydraeans. So that's just a little bit of background information on this world that we're heading into in this book. Let's talk about our characters. So our main character is Astasia Davenport. She is a 24-year-old woman and a fledgling who was orphaned as a child when her parents were burned alive, or so she thinks. She was raised by the Davenports and is now on the cusp of finishing grad school before starting a job with the Catastrophic Relief Foundation. She has always had the ability to compel people with her words and believes that this is what got her parents killed. She lives with her best friend, Elizabeth Watkins, in New York City. Our male main character is Isaac Wakefield. He is an Ikorian who's nearly 400 years old and possesses the ability to manipulate uh, people's vision centers in their brains. He is massively wealthy and the CEO of a pharmaceutical company. 
His Aquarian sire and father is called Aiden, and they are part of one of the oldest and most powerful Aquarian families. His sister was Amelia, who he believes died several years ago, and his brother is Lucian, who is the leader of the Hydraeans. We also have Dr. Jonathan Fitzgerald. He is the CEO and the creator of the Catastrophic Relief Foundation and is Stas's boss. He served as a mentor to Stasia during her internship at the CRF, and she thinks very highly of him, but outward appearances are deceiving with this guy. He, his son is called Tom, who uh, Stas is also very good friends with. Vicky, you want to take over the plot? Yeah, sure. So the book opens with Stas, our main female lead uh, going to visit one of her best friends Owen. She's excited because they're both going to be graduating from their master program soon. However, when she gets to his apartment, she finds a strange man in the hallway who seems surprised that she can see him. At first she thinks that this man was just a hookup with Owen, but it soon be soon becomes clear that something else is going on. There are other strange men there who are going through Owen's apartment. When Stas finally manages to get into the apartment, she finds that Owen has been brutally murdered. She's in shock, but the man who she just met does not seem to be surprised at all. She doesn't recognize him, but he is Isaac Wakefield, a very wealthy bachelor. He also happens to be a supernatural being in Ikorian. Stas is aware that there is a supernatural community because she has the gift of compulsion. However, she's unaware of the extent and politics that govern the community. Isaac examines the scene of the crime and finds Owen's cell phone. The last text was sent after his death to Stas, so someone wanted her to find the body. Isaac tells a shocked and scared Stas that she should call the police, and he leaves. Stas's immunity to Isaac's ability of manipulating vision has piqued his interest. He looks her up and finds out that her birth parents died in a fire when she was seven, and she was adopted by a normal family. He then starts basically stalking her for a little bit. He finds out that she's friends with several powerful people. Owen was a centuries old Hydraean. Uh, her roommate, Elizabeth, is the daughter of a wealthy and influential family. Additionally, she is friends with Tom Fitzgerald, the son of Jonathan, Jonathan Fitzgerald, a co-founder of CRF, or the Catastrophic Relief Fund, which is a humanitarian organization that Stoss is currently interning at. While observing her, Isaac sees her use compulsion on several people. He realizes that she is a fledgling, someone who will die and be reborn as a Hydraean with special abilities. Graduation day arrives and Stoss is having a celebration dinner with Elizabeth, her parents, Tom, his parents, as well as her own parents. She's telling them about her recent interview with CRF. Uh, she's grateful to Tom's father who has helped her get um, an in at the company. She wants a full-time position with their marketing team. She mentions that the final portion is the polygraph test. And after that, she will hear if she gets the job. Their celebratory dinner is interrupted by Isaac. He requests to speak with Stas alone. She notices clear tension between him and Tom. Stas demands to know what he wants and Isaac proposes that they pretend to date, and he will provide more information about the supernatural world in exchange. He wants to use her and her powers as a pawn to get revenge on the people who killed his sister, Amelia. She agrees because she wants answers. 
Stas arrives at CRF for her polygraph test. When she completes the test, she's taken to see a doctor. She's told that it's routine, but she gets a strange feeling about this. The doctor initially asks her normal questions, but then tells her that she needs some vaccines. Again, this concerns Stas as her job will not require travel, but she trusts the doctor. After these strange vaccines, which are green, she does not feel well and she tries to go home, but Isaac finds her and realizes something is wrong. He takes her back to his condo and she soon gets worse. He realizes that at least one of the shots had to contain Nazari poison, a poison used to permanently kill Hydraeans. He calls several people for help, Lucian, the king of Hydraeans, and his friend Balthazar, who is a Hydraean and a doctor. Together, they manage to save Stas. When Stas wakes up, she has quite a few questions for Isaac, and she realizes that she has the ability to compel him. He reveals to her that she is a fledgling, he is Ikorian, and that there are Hydraeans. However, he doesn't actually explain what most of that means, so she's still frustrated. He tells her that he will answer more of his questions after they go to a gala. Dr. Fitzgerald is receiving the Humanitarian of the Year Award. At the gala, at the gala Isaac makes a big show of showing Stas off. He clearly wants to bring their relationship to someone's attention. At one point during the evening, Stas gets cornered by Tom, who tells her that she doesn't understand what Isaac really is. He tells her that she needs to go to a club called Arcadia the next night to see what is really going on. On their way back from, on their way back from the gala, Isaac finally tells her what it means that she, when he tells her that she is a fledgling and will be a Hydraean. However, he still refuses to tell her what an Ikorian is. She also came to the realization that Tom sent her to the club and knows about supernatural creatures. She is very confused about who to trust as she just watched the Ikorians be awful to each other and humans, but she's also found out that she has been lied to by people she thought were her best friends. The next day, Isaac takes, takes her to her estate in the Hamptons to meet some of his actual friends. While there, she meets both Ikorians and Hydraeans. They are clearly a group of close-knit friends and family. While there, she learns a lot of new information. She finds out that once she is reborn, her blood will be toxic to Ikorians. She will be hunted because not only is her blood toxic, but she also has the ability to compel them to drink it. She learns that Isaac's sister, Amelia, was killed by Jonathan Fitzgerald, her mentor and Tom's father and that the CRF also specializes in killing supernaturals. She also finds out that while she is immune to Ikorian's power, she is not immune to Hydraean's powers, and that what she thought was a birthmark on her back is actually a rune from angels that protects her from the Ikorian abilities. It's a lot of information. Tom shows up to try and convince Stoss to return with him, and she agrees, but only in an attempt to get closer to CRF and to help Isaac and his friends hack into their servers. While at the CRF, she meets with Jonathan Gerald, who tries to convince her that Isaac arranged the injections. She is also offered a job as the first female sentinel so that she can learn more about supernaturals. The most surprising thing, though, is that she finds Amelia. It turns out Amelia was not killed, but rather kidnapped and has been at the mercy of Jonathan and the CRF for six years. She accepts the job 
and convinces Dr. Fitzgerald to let her continue her relationship with Isaac in order to try and recruit him for the company. She returns to the Hamptons and they try to come up with a plan to save Amelia. Isaac wants to rush right in and save her, but the others convince him that they need to wait and plan. So what happens? Did they rescue Amelia? You'll have to read the book or listen to find out. Spoilers ahead. So what I love about this book from the start is that there's a glossary in the front and an explanation of the blood laws in the front. I appreciate that so much because there are so many times and like any type of glossary, pronunciation guide, character list, whatever. I love that stuff when it, when we have it in books, but a lot of times it's at the back of the book and you don't know it until you finish the book already and you get to the back and you're like, oh, here's all this stuff that would have been super helpful to know to begin with. Not yes. the case with this one. It is the first thing that you encounter and I appreciate that. I, I very much appreciate that. Yeah, it's super helpful. I love that. Yeah. So we have covered another one of Lexi Foss's books that featured vampires. I think they were actually called, yeah, we, we, we covered Chase Lee Bitten, um, which featured a lot more sex than this book did which is fine um but this one sort of differentiates from that in that they're they're not actually called vampires in this one she's she's kind of crafted this mythology with the Ikorians and the hydraeans and their supernatural gifts which i really like we don't they're not just like regular old vampires chewing on people and immortal and super strong and fast and whatever they have extra abilities for Ikorians they have one and then for Hydraeans they have two extra and so I like that element but I also like that it's not just a forbidden romance which a lot of times you see when they're humans or whatever and vampires uh, there's like political intrigue. We have subterfuge and double agents and memory altering and a devious agency that's pretending to be a humanitarian organization. There's a whole lot of uh, additional stuff going on in, in addition to this just being forbidden romance, which yeah. makes it very intriguing. There's a lot of depth to these characters, this book, this world that she created. There's so much to it, um, you know, that we, I don't think we see that too often. No. Um, you know, and we really get that with this. I mean, she set up a world that, I mean, we're, she's got seven books, an eighth book coming out this November set in the same world. Um, and it's all unique. Each book is yeah. different. You learn more about CRF. You learn more about the other people. That It's just a great world that she created. It is. I mean, if you think, like my mind, when I think of vampire romance, automatically goes to the Twilight books, mm -hmm. which featured vampires and werewolves and humans. And it was a forbidden romance and kind of this love triangle theme, which is, I mean, okay, whatever. But that, 
that was I mean that was basically it there was some like and this added to the forbidden romance part with the vampire I forget what they were called the Volturi that was it right so they couldn't be together because of them or something or other um and so when I think of vampire romance that's pretty much where my mind goes and that's unfortunate because let's get real those books are unfortunate but this series is just so much more involved than what I what I think of when I typically see vampire romance and I really like that oh or a discovery of witches that series featured vampires and witches and demons and like the story the overarching story was forbidden romance but there was so much more involved and I love that makes you think it does um, so I actually looking, thinking back on this book, like before I started reading it again, I was like, was this kind of like 50 shades of gray? Cause first off, I forgot that her name wasn't like Anastasia. Like that's what I thought her name was. Oh. And I was like, so a girl named Anastasia meets a really rich, rich billionaire. I was like, mm. and then I started reading it again. And I was like, oh no, that's right. This is nothing like that. Um, at all. <laughs> like I knew it was vampires and stuff but I was like was it vampire 50 shades of gray and I was like I can't I can't imagine no. that I read I know and then I'm like I was like thinking about it I was like I can't imagine that I read like six books of like vampire 50 shades of gray so that can't have been what it is no um so yeah it's it's very good although for me vampires my frame of reference is always Buffy the Vampire Slayer oh yeah that is always my like set frame of reference for vampires um in whatever I see them in like tv movies books I'm always comparing it to Buffy so that's interesting mm -hmm. Buffy was really popular when we were young but I wasn't allowed to watch it so I think that's probably why Twilight is my frame of reference yeah that would make sense it's tragic. I wish it were Buffy. Mm -hmm. Buffy's great. <laughs> and the vampires are great in that. I, yeah. So I really, so really though, I mean, they can go out in the sun in this. They're basically humans other than they're, you know what? Never mind. That was, it's just unlike typical other vampires. Than, like, yes. Yeah. Other than, yeah. Other, like, well, well, one thing that the, really, sorry, go ahead. Uh, Isaac at one point, the, the word vampire is mentioned or he it's brought up that he mm -hmm. he says that he's disgusted by it because vampires are monsters right so they're not I mean we I think we're assigning the word vampire to them because mm -hmm. of the blood the blood consumption maybe but they're right. they're not they they can they can do the human things they just have extra abilities too and they consume blood mm-hmm I wonder what like a definition of a vampire is. Like, does that in itself being immortal and drinking blood, does that in itself make you a vampire or is there more to it? I don't know. I, I love the addition of the supernatural abilities. I love, I love that addition to the, the lore, the mythology in this book. Yes. And I love how they're all so different. And it makes me think like if I was a, a 
Dreyan or um, in Ikorian in this, like what, because it's specific to each person. Like some right. of them are kind of similar, right? Like I think Balthazar mm-hmm. and um, Arik, I think is his name. Like there's kind of overlap a little bit um, in terms of like mind reading sort of. Yeah. A little bit, they overlap a tiny bit, their powers. Um, <clears throat> but I like how it's like unique kind of to each person. So when Isaac takes her, well, not takes her, when she goes to that club, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Osiris asks Isaac if he's planning on like changing her and what he thinks her power would be. And so he said, oh, she's shown an affinity towards language. So something like voice. And I was like, oh, so I wonder if it's like something you're talented at. Yeah. In life, when you get changed to whatever, mm-hmm. if that'll manifest itself. And so that made me yeah. think, what am I good at? That would then would be you... the power. Yeah. And so I don't know. You can't make it, you can't speculate. What would your extra ability be? You know what? I get like vibes off of people very strongly. And I bet really, would, yeah, I bet it would be enha- like that enhanced being able to like just really distinguish people's character really quickly because I get some like I get vibes off of people when I first meet them and I tend to be really accurate about it. So, yeah. Yeah. So maybe it would just be an enhancement of that. What about you? Is there anything you think? Um, I feel like I am very good at the way that I'm able to interact with my patients and in teaching my yoga classes as well. Um, just kind of in, in sensing um, maybe some of the things that people need. So maybe some type of like um, empathic ability or I don't know, something like that, maybe. Yeah, I can see that. Or people do tend to share a whole lot of information about themselves with me. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, I get that. Yeah, that happens to me too. Yeah, maybe something related to that. Truth, like uh, you can make compel people to tell the truth or something. Maybe so, yeah. Or be able to distinguish. Yeah. When people are telling the truth. I don't know. Maybe so. Something like that. I don't know. We'll never know. You know. Well, if you had to choose from one of the ones that were just presented in this book, which one would you choose? So we have we have a bunch to choose from. We have compulsion, which mm-hmm. I would not choose. That seems like it would be such a burden because you'd have to be so careful about everything that you say. Mm-hmm. Um, there's compulsion there's mind reading teleporting controlling people's vision and sound and touch by death death by touch and I forget the oh like omniscience basically um, I feel like teleporting would probably be the most fun I agree Especially because I was thinking this week, because it's been really cold here. It's been the coldest it's gotten eight degrees this week. Um, 
so I had the thought of, I wish I could just teleport to and from work. And so it's like that. I want that oh, power. Yeah. So I don't have to go outside in the freezing cold, wait for my car to warm up, all of that stuff. I can just, <laughs> just go from my nice warm apartment to my kind of chilly workplace because it's never warm there. I didn't even think about implications like that. I was thinking more like I could jump over to warmer climates anytime I wanted to. (laughs) I'm thinking in the more immediate thing, but that's true. You could just like be like, I feel like going to Ireland today. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There you go. I have to say the sense of time must get kind of warped if you're doing that frequently. Yeah, I think it would. Yeah. Also, I feel like that would require a lot of energy. So you, and that's the guy who can, who can teleport. He says that he's hungry all the time, which is not that different from how I feel right now. So (laughs) just be this huge energy expenditure. Uh, But I think it would be probably the most fun compulsion. I feel like would be a very stressful ability to have. Mm Mm-hmm. Because there are times when Stas has to stop herself because she's about to give a command. And you could just very flippantly say something and it have really serious negative consequences. So I feel like that would be stressful. I would not want to read everyone's minds. I think emotional manipulation is a really interesting one. That's Balthazar's yeah. secondary one. Um, I, I think it'd be interesting to have, but only like briefly, like I wouldn't want that to be my constant power, you no. know? Like, I think it'd be interesting to have so you can like get insight onto people, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's really intrusive. And then you also run the risk of like manipulating someone you know like getting mm-hmm. tempted by the power of manipulating somebody's emotions yeah you have to be a certain type of person I think to have that power mm-hmm. so. death by touch would also that sucks yeah that would not be a great ability to have no <laughs> that's probably the <laughs> worst one to have yes it would be handy if you were an assassin but it would be terrible in every other situation <laughs> Stas gets this job mm-hmm. with the CRF mm-hmm. and she goes for her polygraph which I struggle with just because when I was so in college I took some classes with Dr. Zorwick and when it was I forget the name of the class but in one of the classes we talked about how flawed and problematic polygraphing is and so I was thinking okay these results don't mean anything polygraphing is just a sign whatever all right but then that comes to the part where she has a medical exam and she's just casually getting some shots and she's like what I'm getting shots and I was like sister you need to ask some more questions I know I I have had the typhus shot ma'am and it is not green this whole organization is problematic. This is just, this is just the tip of the iceberg. But I, she was just blindly going into this situation. I was like, girl, you need to ask some questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is not standard procedure, ma'am. 
even with like the polygraph tests, seems like a weird thing for a humanitarian organization, right? Which is what she thinks mm-hmm. she's joining. And her father <laughs> brings it up at dinner with the yeah. um at the graduation dinner. And he's like, why does she need to do this? And it's some convoluted answer that still doesn't make sense until she instructs, like she interrupts her father trying to get him to drop it. Mm-hmm. It's like he had a point. He did. He was looking out for his kid. But so, yeah, when then- I think about like polygraph tests, because so much of it, it can be faked if you can keep like your heart beat in line, you know, mm-hmm. like that's really what it's measuring. Yeah. And then you have like people who may have like chronic anxiety, like me, who if you ask yeah. me my name and I'm like, if I say Vicky, is that lying? Or do I have to say Victoria? <laughs> like, am I lying? <laughs> it would just be like everything I say is a lie. Just overthink so. every single answer. <laughs> yes. It's all a lie. <laughs> Her relationship with Tom is really bizarre. So she makes this, she gets poisoned right she's walking home in a haze and fortunately for her Isaac finds her and is like hey you seem ill and she's dying and he saves her and he starts like revealing a little bit of information and it was frustrating to read because he would share like very minimal information which is annoying because how do you make informed decisions without all of the information but also at the same time, he was like, you're not ready to hear this yet. And it's like, that's true too, because pretty much if there's anything that's said that makes her question like Tom or Dr. Fitzgerald or whatever, she is instantly mistrustful of Isaac and the thing that he's saying. Mm-hmm. I think Tom sending her off to that club actually really worked in Isaac's favor. Yeah. Um, as horrible as it was, I think without I mean, that, she really wouldn't have had too much of a reason to ever really doubt Tom. Yeah. I don't know. Like yeah. other than like other things presented, but that was a very obvious, like actually something that happened to her that nobody's right. tell- just telling her about. Yeah. So. Like there's no denying it. She has seen it with her eyes, right? Yeah. Also, what a crap friend Tom is though. I know. I mean, he's like, you need to go to this place so that you can see more about Isaac. And she's like, what? He's like, just go. And so she goes and is instantly preyed upon by these scary vampires. If Isaac hadn't been there, she probably would have been bitten, could have died. And Tom is apologetic. I didn't know there was a conclave. Even if there hadn't been a conclave, she was still in enormous danger. Yeah. What the heck, man? Maybe he didn't think she'd go by herself, but I really don't think that's any better. No, it's not. I feel like this happens, and we've seen this happen in several books where people are like, oh, go to this nightclub and you can really see what's going on. This happened in some other stuff too, didn't it? Yeah, I want to say it did. I just can't remember. Oh, actually, was it this series? I think it was this. I think it's in the next. No, it's in the book with Elizabeth. I think they go to the same club <laughs> and it's the same thing <laughs> and it's the same thing yeah so the moral of the story is if someone tells you to go to a club don't do it girl don't do it don't go you'll probably get bit 
Maybe poisoned. Possibly murdered. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Um, I did not remember Osiris being described as bald. I had a very hard time correcting that in my head. What did because, you picture him as? Well, Michael Sheen's character from the Twilight movies. Like, long-ish dark hair. And so, bald Osiris, to me, all I could come up with was, like, Lex Luthor. And that that doesn't sit well with me. (laughs) I also didn't picture him as bald. For some reason, I pictured him as that guy in The Walking Dead who, um, I want to say his name was, like, Norman. No, that's not right. Negan? Negan, the one who has the baseball bat that's wrapped Yeah, in. Negan. Yeah, uh-huh, I pictured him like that. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. That's yeah. way better. That's, that's way better than Lex Luthor and my other one. I like that. Yeah, that's what I pictured in my head, even though he's not bald, but that's who I pictured. I really liked Isaac, but he is an awful communicator. Yes. He is awful. He's one of the probably worst communicators that we've had I feel like in the books that we've talked about he's just he's bad at humans he is but he hasn't had a relationship like ever right and he's the CEO of a company you have to interact with people if you're the CEO yeah but not romantically no but just didn't like communicate I mean he's just bad at communicating with her yeah well he's so conflicted over his feelings okay but he's but, so terrible yeah. <laughs> he, I just, no this is so yes. they go to this gala and he's like so they have this conversation in the car afterwards because she knows that he's using her she's like so what is the purpose here because that's part of their agreement. He has to answer questions when she goes on dates with him. And he's like, I'm just using you and you're going to die. And she's like, I'm going to die. <laughs> he's just very casually like, yeah, you're going to die. And she's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, Are you going to get me killed, Isaac? And he's like, oh, probably, but you'll be fine. <laughs> she's like, oh, no, what yeah you're just gonna come back it's fine <laughs> but he doesn't tell her that I he know her just languish in this idea that he's gonna get her killed and then he's like oh but but you'll come back and she's like what and he's like upset or she doesn't understand why she's bothered my man First, you tell her that she's going to die and expect her to be cool with it. And then you're not understanding that even if she's going to come back, dying is traumatic. Yeah, he's he doesn't understand human emotions. He doesn't understand his own emotions, though. And to me, he's such a sweetheart, though. Like he doesn't his his love language is very clearly touch. Okay, because whenever he wants to like comfort her, his first thing is like touch, like be right by her, touch her, right? Like she's dying Mm -hmm. and he wants to get in bed with her, right? To just kind of like Mm -hmm. try to offer her comfort that way, you know, because he thinks that'll be comforting. He, it's really cute. He like washes her hair, combs her hair for her, 
he's just very touchy-feely um and I thought that was really cute and he wants to care for her and comfort her and he doesn't really know how to do it except through that well yeah I mean that is literally the only way that he can do it because anytime he tries to use words it falls apart (laughs) he then this still go back going back to this conversation she's mad at him because he tells her that he's using her and he's like yeah I'll just get rid of you when I'm done with you and she's angry does anyone get excited about being used she didn't know he was gonna purposes he's like she's acting childishly oh and she's mad what's that about this is a normal response my man and then she's super pissed at him and he goes to touch so he just like kisses her Mm -hmm. which would piss me off more Mm -hmm. she goes with it she just kind of melts into him and is still pissed but now they're making out if if I was super pissed off and someone was instantly just like, I'll just kiss you and make it better, I would scratch their face off. <laughs> well, I think she still remained pissed at him, though. She enjoyed mm-hmm. the kiss, but was still pissed. So yeah. I guess there's always that. Um, it didn't wipe the slate clean. No. But I mean, he continues being a bad communicator through most of the book. And I like him. He gets better. But even up until I think it's like the first time they have sex. So probably 300 and something pages into the book. She's still thinking that he's just going to use her and throw her away. Meanwhile, he's like catching feelings and not conveying any of that to her. And she's not getting it. She's like, just do it. Just get it over with. Like, I'm, I'm so done. He's like, but I like you and I don't want to just use you. My dude, this touching stuff is nice, but you need some words to go with it. Yes. You know what? That's true. We do get So this isn't like from a point of view, right? It's in third person. So we get some of his feelings, right? Just mm-hmm. as like what the, how the author is writing. And um, I think that makes me a little more forgiving yeah. of him because I like as the reader I know and I'm not you know so when he's doing all these being bad at communicating it's like well I know why where I think if this was just through her point of view I would be super frustrated with him yeah um so but because I you know we have an idea of what's going on in both of their heads mm-hmm. I find myself to be more forgiving he's just cute. well I don't I think he's he is cute but he needs to do better he's almost 400 years old he needs to get comfortable with his feelings I know she rejects him at one point and he's like wow this is kind of hurtful <laughs> yes when she Are forbids him to touch her <laughs> she said do not touch me and then he's like it physically hurt to not be able to touch you and he, so he's upset and confused about having feelings like this whole time right and he's not mean to Stas because of it like a lot of times I feel like we see a male character be like I have feelings and I don't like it so I'm gonna be mean to you mm-hmm. and he's not he's just as bad at communicating but his inner monologue like made me laugh because at one point he goes this woman has clearly broken me <laughs> <laughs> and he's just He's funny. He's like, I, I don't understand what's happening. Like, why am I feeling this way? Why do I want to cuddle <laughs> with her? What, what is this? this yeah. Is, this is not normal. I'm broken. 
Yeah. So I do like that. I like that his his response to feelings isn't instantly like to reject Stoss because he has, is having feelings. If anything, he he tries. He tries to convey. He tries. I'll, I'll give him points for trying. He's just he's just bad at the execution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like him though. I um, like Stoss. Hmm. Yes, she's quick thinking, like quick on her feet. Yeah, I, I like her a lot. Witty, intelligent, mm-hmm. brave. Yeah, she goes into the CRF as like a double agent at the end. I would not do that. Your girl is a coward. Like she's very clever, and even with this uh, Icorian guy, that's you know, mm-hmm. three hundred and something years older than her. She's still very sassy and she's like that. She's not cowed by all of the other supernatural beings that end up coming into her world either. Yeah. Um, I think she's very, so when she's having that meeting with Jonathan Fitzgerald, right? And at one point Tom enters and is like, oh, come out here. I have to talk to you to her um, father she leaves the room or to his father she leaves the room and like wanders and I was like I would totally just be sitting there waiting for them to come back I would not have moved (laughs) but that's how she finds Amelia also good for her for like recognizing that it was Amelia even though she'd never actually met Amelia like or seen pictures oh no she did see Mm -hmm. pictures of Amelia but like I think she recognized her more I would never be able to recognize somebody like unless I knew them really well yeah like I'm not gonna be able to recognize like like that so yeah good for her for recognizing it yes good for her for being observant and brave like that because I 100% would also still be in the office like I guess they'll come when they're ready yes how long do I have to wait here mm-hmm but she's you know she quickly thinks oh well you know like let me flick his card Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, Mateo, right. And he's like this supernatural hacker. Yeah. He gives her a car, like a business card for her to leave by Jonathan's computer to try to get like break into their servers. Right. And so she's like, how do I get it over there? And then she thinks, oh, it would make sense because they think I'm mad at Isaac. Now let me take his card and like flick it over there. Mm-hmm. That was smart. Yeah. And then she, you know, convinces um, Jonathan to let her stay with Isaac. Mm-hmm. Smart. Yeah. She does it quickly. She does. She thinks on her feet really well. And she kind of comes up with the plan from both sides that will allow her to be a double agent. So obviously working with Isaac and his team of supernatural friends but um she she interacts with jonathan really well and kind of like can using the words that he wants Mm -hmm. yes she knows what he wants to hear as i say i found her flashbacks very interesting or her dreams her not her dreams and her flash some of them are kind of flashbacks so she has a really interesting one when she's at the CRF, right? 
of wings her mother and wings and stuff and I, I, was, oh, yeah. I pick up on all of this stuff yeah so what was great this time was I didn't you know when you're reading a book for the first time you're not looking for all of the other like little clues or things like that but reading it this second time was able to see way more of these little like nuggets of things that tie in to the rest of the world and characters in the other books which was really cool there's a lot of foundational work and little clues that are laid down in this book mm-hmm. yeah she she puts a good foundation with a lot to build off of and you know I think it was last week we were talking about having um prologues that just kind of like make sense you know that are yeah. actually when we have this one where it's like what like yeah this clearly means something like I'm supposed to know like <laughs> one of those confusing openings mm-hmm. um, and then the epilogue too is a little it's confusing yeah the information is ambiguous right. yeah it ties in some way we just don't really know what it means yet and there are I mean, a few th- her dreams are like that too like yes. she has this recurring nightmare where she's drowning and that's that means something somehow and even like the mentions of her parents and things like that um and that we found out that her memory has been tampered with as well there are all of these little little things that we know have to pull in some way mm-hmm. we just don't know yet yeah i love that though it, it builds the anticipation. It makes you want to read the other books because it's not all like given to you in the first book. Yes. And that's smart because not, she's not just ending on a cliffhanger, like in terms of the plot line or like mm-hmm. in terms of the story, like it's also this overarching, all these o- other overarching questions, right? Because there's ending, mm-hmm. there's answering all of the questions that were posed in the book. And then ending on a cliffhanger with like, oh, well, like there's this big setup or something for the next one, which we yeah. do have that, but we still continue to have all these other questions. Do you have um, recurring dreams? I not like Stoss. So in her recurring nightmare, she's just drowning over and over in an agony, which sounds awful. I don't have anything that dramatic. I do sometimes dream that my teeth, so I had braces when I was younger. And I do not wear my retainers any longer, which haunts me because I will dream that my teeth go back to how they looked before I had braces. And I know that there's some sort of symbolism with your teeth in dreams. I can't remember what it is, but I think a lot of it is just this guilt that I don't wear my retainers anymore. (laughs) I've had that dream too. And I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Yeah. Because I've had that dream. Yeah, that's probably the one that I have most frequently. What about you? Do you have any recurring dreams? Um, not really recurring. I've had a lot of dreams about dying. Um oh. and various ways that I have died. Like in one of my dreams, I was falling from a great height, and for whatever reason there were wires, like from where I was falling from, like I think there were like telephone wires, and I landed on them. And so I oh. feel like my body was in pieces, right? And for some reason, I've had all these like really oddly gruesome dreams about my death. I've drowned, I've burned, I've been crucified. I don't know why oh I got gosh. shot in the stomach in one of them. 
I really don't know what it is. But in all of these rooms, I am not panicked about it at all. I'm just like, this is normal. <laughs> There's no like anxiety at all. I'm just like, that's fine. That's what this is. Which is so that's- bizarre. Yes, it is. Interesting. <laughs> because like, that's something that's really scary, right? That would be really scary. Yes. Um, but no, in my dream, I'm just totally apathetic to it. Just like, eh, just go with is, it. This is my life now. <laughs> I've had a dream. I had a dream that I was I was turned into a vampire once, and I watched all of the blood drain from my body. That was a dream. I wonder what this says about you because one of your fears is dying, right? Yeah. I wonder, I wonder what the interpretation here is. Yeah, well, that's what you dream think. expert. Yeah. I would think that you would be terrified in your dreams. You right, you would think that. Um, so there's a little mm-hmm. bit of sex in this book. Mm-hmm. The first time I have sex, it's in a pool. And I was thinking, wow, that's brave. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of coordination that goes into pool sex. It's slippery, you could drown. I don't know. It is not appealing to me. I mean, the thought of like pistoning chlorinated water into the vagina does not really appeal. Yeah. Um, So I actually was like, you know what? I'm just going to pretend they're not in a pool and ended up enjoying (laughs) the scene a lot more. (laughs) I pictured them just like in his room against a wall because like that's what they're against the wall of the pool. So I'm like... It's not a pool, Paul. Oh my gosh, it's not a pool wall now. It's just a wall of a regular thing. And they're standing. Because, yeah, pool sex is not. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I thought it was hysterical. So because Balthazar can read minds, he's over here with the next day grading Isaac's technique and form. I think he gives him like a 7 out of 10 or something because he didn't provide Stoss with snacks. Yes. Which I appreciate. Give your partner snacks. Mm-hmm. Feed them. Mm-hmm. Balthazar sounds like the, you know, one to go for. He knows yes. to give you snacks. He's been around for forever. He can, he can read your mind. anticipate what you need. Yeah. Yep. He can anticipate what you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's actually probably my favorite side character in this. Mm-hmm. But what's funny, well, not funny, anyway, it's just a fun fact about the name. So Balthazar is actually one of the three wise men, uh, in the, so this is in the Bible, and he brought myrrh to Jesus when he was, you know, little baby Jesus in his manger, mm-hmm. and that symbolizes the death of the king. Anyway, random stuff that you remember from going to Catholic school, because that's what I remember when I think of Balthazar. <laughs> Balthazar. All That's right, what I think. Go. It's like the guy who brought myrrh. All right. So Balthazar mm-hmm. is, I like him a lot. He's very funny. Mm-hmm. I like him too. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to read his book. He, this character develops a whole lot more in the series. Um, I haven't read the new book that features him yet, but I, I it's on my TBR list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's him and, um, one of the seraphim or something, right? Yeah. I think yeah. she's an empath for some reason. 
something that I like about this book is that the author addresses the birth control issue. So Stas and, I mean, yeah, Stas and Isaac, they have sex and they don't use any form of protection, which is always kind of a turnoff for me. But the author addresses it. She says, well, there's no need because I can't transmit diseases to you and you don't get sick. And both of them are, or she's infertile. So yeah, she can't have kids because she's a fledgling. So she took that news. Like there was, she was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. I guess she didn't want kids. I mean, she could always adopt. She was adoptive. Right. So maybe that was her, if she wants any children. Yeah. But I feel like that would be something that would be like, yeah. Like, wait, I'm, I'm, I'm infertile. I can't. Like there was, she just glossed right over it. Mm-hmm. Which is funny. I, I do like that. I think she said, because this is actually my thought first. I, I'm glad that, you know, it was addressed. I like it being addressed before all of the sex though. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And I like that. She actually says, she says that I was like, I guess we should have talked about this before the sex. Mm-hmm. I really like the the interactions between all of the immortal creatures in this book so Mm -hmm. these blood laws sound like they would be fraught with complications because they didn't exist before the 1700s and a lot of these people have been alive for way longer than that and also they're like related so I felt like I needed a tree to understand Isaac's family but his sire Aiden Mm -hmm. is father to the leader of the Hydraeans Lucian and also like father like blood father to Isaac's sister Amelia so these laws come into effect and it's like oh and by the way you can't talk to your family anymore that doesn't work and I know that they 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 make arrangements or exceptions for that because it doesn't work but it just seems like it would inherently be problematic for the people involved yes I like that even though these people are like millions of years old Mm -hmm. they are not horribly grumpy people they're fun yeah we and they act like a family they act like they love each other yes we've seen it in so many books with the longer somebody is alive, the just grumpier they are. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case here. And I liked seeing that because I've got somebody who's millions of years old and they're like, yeah, I can remember everything ever, you yeah. know, but they're. It's the ennui. You know, yes. They succumb to the ennui of a prolonged lifetime. Mm-hmm not these people they're still fun they go to south america and do body shots with syrup or something and they go to medical school multiple times yeah i mean that makes sense though as medicine evolves right oh yeah to go back i wonder what happens with like hydranians or fledglings who choose not to die like because they can choose like when to die and come back yeah so what, like, do they just age normally and then die normally and then they come back as an old person? Oh, what a bummer that would be. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right? Like, what happens if you don't? 
Yeah. And then you just live your life as normal and then you die as not like, you know, 90 years old and then oh, <laughs> like now I'm stuck this way. <laughs> With arthritis and everything. What a bummer. Mhm. All right. Let's talk about our quotes. Okay. So I selected this quote. Stas says it to Isaac when he is questioning her about her abilities or he's following her and asking her questions. She says, are you going to get to the point of this visit anytime soon? Or do you plan to tell me more things I already know about myself? (laughs) She's so sassy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just love it. (laughs) I love it too. She's great. And he's like, she's not like other girls. Um, so I picked, it was actually part of a quote, but I just pulled out this couple. Um, so this, I believe was Isaac talking about Jonathan and the CRF. He goes, war is good for business. And I just picked it because it's true. And I could go on a whole rant about it, but I won't, but it just, um, it just kind of stood out to me and I was like, oh, it's a good point. And it's interesting yeah. to see these things reflected in books that are reflect like in books that can be reflected in real life, you know? Yeah. Reflective of real life. Any final thoughts on this book? I really enjoyed it. I'm going to, I want to continue Stas and um, Isaac's story. So I think I'll probably skip to their next book and mm-hmm. read it because I want to, I don't remember exactly what happens with them. So I want to remember, but I really like this book. I really like the series. It's great. What about you? I agree. I mean, it's a great series. The The rest of the series explores some of the, the side characters. So it explores Tom and mm-hmm. it explores uh, Elizabeth, Stas's best friend. Um, we see more from Stas and Isaac, but also we get the backstory on her parents and the events leading up to um, their death and the start of the first book, uh, which is really, I mean, their story is fantastic. Their stories are some of my favorite in the whole series. So definitely recommend this series, but especially those books. They are so good. They are. And they're very spicy but it's unique spice that was the first like knife play I'd ever read yeah I'd never read like knife and blood play before and it was good though all righty well that wraps up blood laws by Lexi C. Foss uh join us next week we'll be discussing the last wish by Andre Sapkowski this is the the first book in the the witcher series so it's a a book of short stories leading up to i think there's actually two two sort of like prequel books that contain short stories before the first book in the series which i think is called the blood of elves so we'll be discussing the short stories and the last switch next wish next week thank you for listening to literary quest we hope you enjoyed our episode if you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.